This is Alex Volkov, the host of Thursday Eye podcast. Welcome to this very special episode of Thursday Eye, where AI is barely mentioned, believe it or not. I want to start by thanking all of the subscribers for this podcast. Um, consider subscribing. I would appreciate it. What you will hear following this introduction is a recording of a two plus hours Twitter space we've held on the topic. Um, it features several people who will introduce themselves. It features me, um, a guy from Korea named Song Hyun, another person on Twitter named Atapai. I'm not sure they want to dock themselves and um, two Andrews Andrew McCaleb from Varda Space and Andrew Cote who they well you'll hear Andrew um, as we discuss the events leading to and the surrounding science around a potentially groundbreaking discovery by a team of Korean scientists from Q Center as they talk about releasing an ambient pressure room temperature superconductor which they call LK99. The space was attended by around 6,000 people and since then around 20,000 people have listened to it. And so I figured I would upload this to this podcast as well, including the transcription um, for your enjoyment. So I hope you have a fun time listening to this. We try to make the space very information flowy. However, you will hear from time to time space-specific discussions about who needs to unmute and who needs to join. Uh, And hopefully the transcription attached uh, will help you kind of understand what's going on. Thank you. Hello, hello, everyone. There's a lot of you here. And uh, I want to welcome a few folks up on stage while we wait for a few more guests, and then we can get started. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time joining us, uh, as you're as interested as all of us in this very exciting, very confusing, very potentially groundbreaking news. Um, so uh, I want to introduce two folks up on stage, three folks up on stage already, and bringing up another one just now. And hey, Andrew, hey, hey, Tapai, and hey, Ben, how are you guys? Doing well, how are you? Um, a little bit, you know. The palms are a little bit sweaty. Uh, this is a insane turnout. <laughs> uh, Twitter is indeed a public space, one of the biggest that we have. Uh, and hopefully X spaces or Twitter spaces, whatever they call it now, will hold. And I want to invite uh, Sankyo to speak as well. Pai, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So uh, good to, good to you know, uh, hear from you guys in person. Uh, Alex, uh, thanks for putting the space together. Absolutely. Andrew, uh, we're going to introduce Andrew, but many folks who are here already follow you and, and follow 
at your work. Uh, how, how's your evening going, Andrew? Hey, this has been a wild ride. Uh, thanks for putting all this together. Uh, it's going to be great to get all the information in one place for the first time. Uh, this is my first time experiencing the full volume of the internet, and uh, it's just been a, a lot of fun to see all the positivity around the progress. That's great. Uh, so I'll do my best that you know, moderating this. Uh, I will maybe preface this, that I am not a scientist. Uh, many of the terms that we'll hear today in the space I've heard for the first time uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, what I am is a Twitter dweller for many, many years. And I have collected a, a list of folks who I, I personally wanted to follow uh, to kind of see the updates as they roll out. And we've seen many, many things uh, roll out very quick uh, with a lot of confusion and uh, different replication attempts from different places. And uh, so I just compiled the list for myself, started following. Atapai had incredible, um, incredible content diving into the, the timelines. I found, uh, I, I want to introduce... Sang Hyun, am I saying this right? I think you need to hit the, the mute button and unmute Sang Hyun if this is your first uh, time talking on Twitter Spaces. Um, let me know if you're able to do that, and if not, we'll try to solve this. Um, and I, as I was collecting folks, uh, and I, I started seeing that Andrew started uh, doing the replication attempts and uh, even doing Twitch. Can you hear me? Can you yes, hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hey, Sankian, how are you? Uh, uh, it's, it, it's the noon in South Korea, and I'm fine. This is afternoon, right? Uh, it's 1? Uh, yes, yes, it's 1 p.m. here. Awesome. And so I was just doing an introduction. Maybe as you were coming up, you maybe have not heard uh, some of it. However, uh, folks in the audience who followed this uh, kind of thread and how we came to be here, um, I have a, a thread that I'll post on top here that has all the folks from the Twitter list that I followed. And Sung Hyun and his, his team uh, is basically the reason for the space. Uh, me and Natepai kind of found Sankyun. Am I saying Sankyun correctly? Is that is that the right way to say this? Uh, my name is So Sankyun. So Sankyun. Uh, your your yeah your pronunciation is correct enough. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll try my best to pronounce the, the, the right names. And uh, so we both, me and Atapai, kind of started following Sankyun, who's in Seoul uh, currently and definitely speaks the language we don't speak. And so does a lot of uh, insight and translation. And so uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll get started. Sankyun, feel free to present yourself and then talk a little bit about your last few days and how you came around uh, getting interested in this topic and then how, uh, kind of what you found so far. Uh, I, I didn't really expect you to speak. Uh, that's okay, you that's okay. I don't, I, I put me, me on the spot, I, yeah. I don't want to throw uh, you on the spot, but uh, give us maybe a brief so, summary. Uh, so maybe, like maybe, have, do, you, do you want me to help Sanghyun? Yes, please. Uh, okay. You you have read my write up, so maybe maybe you can explain what's going okay. on. 
Okay. So I'm I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna uh, just to preface everything. Uh, I, I'm writing a work of fiction, so all of you guys are just participating in an, exp- in an experiment. So, uh, but I'm trying to keep everything to kind of like factual um, and trying to interpret what what is kind of happening on the ground, right? Song Hyun is much more factual, um, and he he has actually been doing uh, primary source work. So he's been actually digging up the uh, actual Korean language uh, science papers. He's been sitting down with friends. Uh, they've kind of, you know, summarized and kind of tried to understand what's going on. Um, and he's really the one that's, you know, uh, put together this, uh, that, that the, um, you know, the, the, the mentor, um, you know, uh, whose name I think in, in some transliterations comes out to T.S. Chair, uh, some Dongsik. Um, he, the mentor was basically um, in, in superconductors uh, in this idea of this kind of one-dimensional uh, superconductor, and he had this theory. Yeah, so the name is Che Dongsik. Che Dongsik, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dongsik Che. He yeah. was a, a professor in the Korean University's uh, Department of Chemistry. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so he he had this idea, uh, this theory, and um, he had uh, graduate students. And uh, one of those graduate students was Lee, uh, and Lee kind of took up the mantle uh, of uh, this this theory. And then they, um, you know, tied up with Kim, who was an experimentalist. Uh, and then they kind of discovered this trace, this ghost of a trace of a material uh, in 1999. And um, at that point, what happens is, having discovered this trace, uh, their path kind of diverges. Uh, and uh, Kim, uh, the experimentalist, goes on to do a master's not in superconductors. Uh, so he does his master's in uh, something else, and then he does a battery materials kind of PhD, and he graduates in 2008. Um, while Lee continues on uh, the superconductor path, uh, does uh, experimental, uh, and he, when he publishes his PhD, it's both a theory and synthesis uh, of superconductors. Um, and then he graduates, and then he, he goes to work as a computer science adjunct professor. Uh, which we ju- which which, which Xiong Hyung just found out, like a computer science adjunct professor, and he's there for about you know four or five years. Uh, he doesn't publish, um, and and I'm guessing at this point he kind of gets like you know cashiered out of uh, out of academia completely, uh, and he sets up a consulting firm, uh, basically Q Center, and they start taking on uh, consulting work, and um, and then again the timeline is a little bit uh, unclear on whether or not um, they continue to work on on the um, um, on on the product um, on what they discovered and what happens then is in 2017 uh, uh, Che Dong-sik passes uh, and as he passes uh, he he gets his former students together and he asks them to finish off what they started to find this uh, superconducting material that they saw a ghost of a trace of uh, in 1999. And uh, he passes and they have no money, basically. Um, Song Hyung uh, has done, again, primary source research. And, you know, the the office space is basically like a, like a two-story building, uh, you know, somewhere in the, you know, in Seoul. Uh, it's a very modest kind of office. They don't have much money. 
Um, my guess, my guess is that uh, uh, they need Kim uh, because Kim is the experimentalist. And I'm guessing also that none of the theory works at this point. Uh, the only thing that they have to go on is that they actually did find something uh, in 1999. And uh, Kim, I'm guessing, is also uh, quite practical because he didn't do he didn't pursue the superconductors for the PhD. Right. Because he's quite practical. He's like, dude, you get me money. I'll join you. You don't have money. I'm not joining you for your wild goose chase. Right. So uh, Lee goes out and he recruits Kwan. Um, and Kwan is kind of like, uh, you know, he's, he's a US PhD. He has a research university, prof- uh, you know, uh, position. They recruit him and they get funding. And I think, I think Sung Hyung, you were, you were saying that uh, Kwan is the one on the, uh, you know, National Science Foundation of Korea's like, um, you know, um, list, uh, uh, like uh, grant, right? I, th- I think that's what you said. So the paper mentions the, the public grant from South Korea called the National Research Foundation, which is like a National Science Foundation in United States. And uh, Kwon is listed as a primary investigator, PI, is that right? Mm. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Okay, so he's, he's the PI. So they recruit him as the PI. And J.H. Kim, who is you know Lee's partner, uh, basically leaves his very comfortable position as a research director in a uh, hearing aid. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, the company aid. is called, yeah. Yeah. I, called yeah, the ICER. Yeah. yeah, called the ICER tech and uh, it manufactures the battery specialized for the hearing aid because uh, it is a medical device. Uh, they have different standards from other batteries. Uh, and the uh, company is a small business in South Korea, but seems competitive worldwide. So he leaves his hey, company. Let me, let me intervene yeah, just real quick and just to give folks a, a quick summary. The main paper that we saw the explosion from, that was published on uh, July 22nd, so a week and, and almost a day. So we're like almost eight days into this. Uh, the three people that you you just said, besides the first professor Choi or Chair or Choi, I'm not sure. T- several places write it te- separately. Uh, so the the three people, Sokbae Lee, Jihoon Kim, which is the LK in LK99, right? Lee and Kim, and uh, the third person you just mentioned is uh, Young Wan Kwan. Yes. Those are the, the three authors on the paper that kind of was published on Archive, out of the blue. Eight days ago. Please continue. Right, and then so at this at this point, uh, they're in 2017, and um, you know Lee goes out and does the fundraising. He recruits Quan, who's a research professor. Quan uh, is basically he's on the paper. He, he's he's the principal investigator on the grant, but he's still uh, a professor at university. So he's basically, I'm guessing, like a day a day in the you know in the office. Uh, at Q Center, very modest place. Uh, I think the grant size is pretty small. And they get this uh, ESR machine. And again, from what I can tell, uh, the ESR machine, only Kim knows how to use it because none of the other people are actually synthetic, you know, synth- synthesis people. 
they're all like theory guys. Quan uh, is a physicist. And Kim himself, J.H. Uh, Kim himself, he's looking for something which you have to know what you're looking for, right? Because that's what he says in his LinkedIn. He's like, I'm looking for something. If you don't know what you're looking for, then forget about it, right? But he, he knows what he's looking for. And they refine, they refine, and they refine. And he keeps doing experiments. He keeps refining the experiment. And he goes through like a thousand iterations. And somehow, uh, starting in 2018, somehow by the middle of 2018, they find it. So that, that's a surprising thing for me because they, I, 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 I suspect they were, they've been working on it, you know, before, or um, you know, Che and Lee had a breakthrough on the theory, so they knew how to narrow the workspace down. But somehow, at, in at the end of the day, Kim is the one grinding through the one thousand experiments, uh, finally to get you know a sample that works. And then they uh, start. No, by... no, 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 no. No. So. Uh, so, besides the two papers, there is a paper published in April, written in Korean, and uh, in their own words, uh, they describe what what prompted their breakthrough in 2018, and it said that uh, so so they are putting the material in a quartz tube, and uh because they cooled it to fast, the quartz tube quenched and broke, and uh, the material left after the breaking of the glass was uh, uh, had the property they wanted. So, so it was an accidental discovery. So can you repeat that? Like they, what, what happened? They put it in the quartz tube and the quartz tube broke accidentally? Yes, yes, yes. yes. I see. And, uh, and, and that was the breakthrough in 2018. I That's see. What yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want I to see. confirm what I hear. Uh, the breaking of the quartz tube led to the incidental discovery. This is, this is the, the breakthrough as it's written in the first paper in Korean? Yes, yes. Okay, so I'll just call it if I just give me a sec uh, for some logistics. Folks, if you look up on, on top of the space, there's a few tweets we're pinning. And as we go along, we're going to add some information on top of this. The third, uh, the third tweet pinned from Dystopian Breaker uh, has a link to the original kind of uh, Korean paper. Uh, so please go ahead, Itapai. So, so quick, okay. quick point. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, this, this could be important because... Uh, you know, as, as soon as you expose it to the atmosphere, you're potentially getting hydration and uh, hydration, you know, might be harmful, might be helpful. It, 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 from this like little account, it seems like it, it, it either didn't do anything or was helpful. But um, uh, like knowing what temperature it was at when it broke and, and things like that could could actually be really pertinent. Yeah, so absolutely. Like, so it's not, they, they, he does do the thousand experiments, but the thousand experiments, whether that gets him there or not, at one point in the experiment, the quartz tube breaks, that gets them there. They get lucky, right? So they get, they get lucky. Um, and then after that, things proceed pretty quickly. They isolate, they isolate it. Um, and then they, they get the crystallization. 
they start working on uh, the papers, they start working on the patents, um, and they start also trying to figure out the chemical vapor deposition process. They seem to have made some way, some headway on the chemical vapor deposition process. And then, you know, um, sometime around September 2021, some things start happening. Quan takes a position, uh, a sabbatical at, um, I think, Seoul National University at that point. I'm not sure whether that means he's putting more time in the office or not. And then that fast forwards to, yeah, go, go ahead, Sung Yung. Uh, no, 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 you go ahead. Okay. So that fast forwards to about March 2023, uh, when basically the international patent uh, has been filed and uh, Quan leaves the team at this time. I'm not sure when uh, Hyung Tuck Kim comes on board. That's not very clear to me at, at, at what point Hyung Tuck comes on board. So um, I'm, I'm guessing it's after the nature, the nature paper gets dinged in 2020. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the other thing that strikes me also is that every single person on the team, uh, is very aware of every single hoax in superconductors to date, right? They, they've, they all know the space well, uh, they've seen every single hoax before. Um, they know, they know what the hoaxes look like. They know what to look for. They know what diamagnetism is. Um, so I, 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 I don't think, yeah, go ahead. So. Uh, the date is so the day before the yesterday Andrew McCauley posted on his Twitter the translation of the Korean paper at Doctroid is that correct and can can you uh, so so how did you translate and can can you say something about it Andrew I think uh uh, he's referring to you. Sankan is referring to you. Uh, you posted a translated paper also, right? Yes. Now, that was uh, just a machine translation from Google. That was just a very cursory translation. Okay. So, in basically, Quan leaves the team in March. Um, and then you have the kind of papers being released, you know, haphazardly. The next, the next point that we know of them is that they start releasing the papers haphazardly, like late last week. Um, and and then and then and, we have. And all, by they, I think it's yeah. it's important to highlight. Uh, by they, uh, Quan, the guy who's no longer affiliated with Q Center, like this this whole endeavor, uh, a business venture that's funded to for for this uh, for this purpose. Quan uh, is no longer affiliated with that. Uh, we've seen uh, Sun Kyung posted an interview in Korea from Friday where I think both Lee and Kim say that Quan, uh, the guy who published the first paper, is no longer affiliated. Uh, there was some speculation as to maybe the limit of three people on the paper is the limit of the Nobel Prize or three authors. I, I don't have this confirmed, but there's a speculation going around. And it's important to note that, like, both of them say that the paper was not ready when it was released. Uh, and it was released by Quan, the guy who left the first paper. Two hours later, two hours and 20 minutes later, uh, another paper gets released in, this, in the same archive uh, with, I want to say, five authors, not including Quan. Right? So, yeah. Lee... Yeah. And, and the, user, the, 
the username yeah. is Hyungtak. Hyungtak, Hyungtak, Hyungtak Kim, uh, okay. the, the college professor from you know Virginia, uh, is the username uh, who who pushes the Arcsafe uh, paper at that point. Yeah, Hyungtak Kim is a big name with the H index of forty five, and uh, uh, if you look at the paper, there is an error message in Korean saying that a uh, bookmark could not be found, which is a usual error message when you did uh, some of the typesetting wrong. And uh, you just don't publish the uh, room temperature superconductor paper with the uh, error that says bookmark cannot be found if you are uh, hurrying uh, uh, if you are in, not in emergency. So, yeah. so it, it does feel to us, at least from the summary so far, that the paper, the quantum release, uh, has uh, different information than, than the second paper. And the second paper feels like it was released in a hurry and included more people that currently work at Q Center, uh, including uh, Hyun Tak Kim. And uh, uh, I want to ask you this question. You mentioned his H, H score or something score. Can, can you explain the importance of that score for Hyun Tak Kim? Uh, please, uh, uh, someone else to the explanation <laughs> okay so so the h score is you know because we have a web web savvy audience here it's kind of like a page rank for um you know um, uh, uh, researchers it shows you how influential uh, how influential the researcher was uh, and so a higher score means that more people have been citing uh, your paper uh, go ahead ben. yeah uh more precisely so like an h index of say 40 means you have 40 papers that each have 40 citations or more. Um, that's a little tricky to understand. So like if I get another paper that has only 30 citations, it won't affect my H index at all. I have to get a 41st paper that has 41 citations to, to, to make it rise. So I think it's it's safe to say that uh, Hyun Tak Kim, the guy uh, who submitted the second paper, uh, potentially haphazardly, correct? Like we're, we're, we're saying there's an error in the paper. Uh, two hours after the first one, so likely prompted by these events, uh, is a well, well um, cited, very well cited um, scientist with a very high kind of confidence score. It's not like a random person of the street that decides that there is now a superconductor of room temperature and, you know, verified it. Okay. Uh, sorry for being sidetracked, but I just checked the... the uh machine-translated Korean paper uploaded to Doctoroid by Andrew. And on the page five, we clearly said that the quartz tube was destroyed due to internal pressure during rapid cooling of reaction and etc. So I think, uh, uh, in fact, nobody really read, read it carefully. <laughs> it, is, it is just there about the quartz tube was destroyed. Yeah. So I think I think it's uh yeah, definitely like probably the the rest of us are are, are not very close readers um of of that paper. Uh so so uh we can we can continue on after the upload to the archive. Uh, indeed. So okay, so they 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 it goes into our, our archive 
uh, and then all of the events of the last week happened. Um, you know, uh, I don't think any of us expected any of the events to happen. So we've all just been kind of like following along and seeing what happens next. I had no idea that there was a Metallics conference in South Korea. And I, I definitely had like no idea that, you know, uh, one of the authors would show up there and it gets posted on Twitter. And so, uh, and then, and then Seong Hyung uh, points it out on uh, the FM Korea football message board. And so we translate, you know, what the audience uh, reaction was uh, in, in, in a bad translation. Uh, to get so, whatever uh, message if I, if, was across. If mind, let me interject here because this is around the time that I found out about this. Uh, Alex, uh, uh, frozen coffee Alex, I forgot his uh, nickname. Uh, we invited him here. He posted a, a very long Twitter thread that got the attention of the algorithm and then boosted of this uh, uh, room temperature, ambient pressure, superconductor paper from Korea. I think he only started talking about the first paper. And then after the second paper also came out, uh, and I think at this point, or somewhere around there, Andrew, you found out about this. Uh, when, when did you first hear about, you know, Twitter drama around LK99? And Andrew, feel free to please produce, uh, you know, introduce yourself uh, officially and Varda and how you're interacting with this. Yeah, so I was just cruising the internet at night and this came across, I think, my, my Twitter feed. And so I, I'm incredibly curious this is something that has been a bit of a, a hobby for me and so i was always interested in superconductors so it it caught my attention um so i'm a mechanical engineer so full disclosure i am not a subject matter expert i am simply an aerospace engineer uh that has a lot of curiosity and um uh, some assets at his disposal and so uh reading this paper it it struck me just the simplicity of, uh, of the process. And so I realized that I probably had the ability to uh, replicate with full fidelity, the process that was described in the paper. And so that within about 30 minutes, I, I realized I should simply, um, start down this road that Twitter was already picking up at the time. Uh, there's some conversations going back and forth and, the it was the classic scenario where it, on every superconductor discussion there's the same uh, conversation that happens over and over again, and this synthesis appeared so simple that it seemed that the uh, most expedient thing was to simply test it physically, and so um, my my work is very uh, receptive of of after hours projects. Um, I'm, I'm known as the the guy that has really uh, aggressive hobbies, let's say. And so I'm always in the back doing uh, something interesting with uh, materials or automation. So within 30 minutes of reading the paper, I had kicked off orders to various uh, chemical suppliers. I'd reached out to overseas vendors um, to uh, try to procure a couple of the, uh, uh, the elements. And so uh, it was just kind of an offhand comment that I made on Twitter and, and then the ball really started rolling and I realized that everyone wanted to see this, uh, this made. And so, uh, it was just supposed to be a, a, a fun little project, but I was really overwhelmed by the, the response. Um, everyone wanted to, to see this done. I think there's this, 
incredible um, uh, curiosity. There's this incredible drive. You know, people want to see like incredible things happen for the, the the human race, and so something of this magnitude pops up. Everyone's motivated to drop everything and investigate, and I think that's where we're at. And I think you met the algorithm at the right place where folks were excited about the future and think this could bring a lot of changes around the future. And you started saying, hey, you know, here's a here's a direct approach. Let's try to replicate this. And I, yeah. I want to just highlight the fact that the the materials involved in creating this and the process, um, some folks say, and please talk about this, um, some folks say that had this been an attempt at a hoax, it wouldn't be as simple. They wouldn't have released a simple instruction manual, kind of quote unquote simple, uh, that many labs around the world can replicate given the materials and, and the right equipment, right? Uh, so, so, yeah, so the straightforwardness well, of this potentially shows some stuff. So this this is a good time for for a PSA. I mean, I know that uh, that Andrew is well aware of this, and 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 many of people the people who've been following it. But in case anybody who's listening. Uh, uh, isn't um, the these compounds uh, in vapor form uh, at any rate uh, are are highly toxic and uh, you you have to know lab safety if you're gonna uh, start trying to experiment with them you need things like uh, glove box and uh, uh, you know all kinds of PPE a fume hood uh, everything else uh, taking risks with this kind of thing is just really not worth it. Uh, I, I so, can't stress that. Oops, definitely, absolutely. Definitely don't try this at home, kids. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of chatter in the beginning and the first couple hours about this can be replicated in a garage. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought maybe we've got the opportunity to, to do it safely. Um, we've got all the right equipment. We've got, you know, the, the millions of dollars of equipment that support our spacecraft uh, business um that allow us to do some of these things safely and so i thought it, twitter wants to live vicariously through somebody why not do this i ended up being in sort of an interesting middle ground because i'm not in academia uh i'm also not trying to commercialize any part of this tech really just doing it for fun because it's in incredibly interesting so I've got no skin in the game except for making this work in a transparent manner and then getting the materials into the hands of the experts. So I thought if we can leverage some of our equipment and uh, some of our you know, very smart people that we have to speed this timeline up, I didn't see anybody in the United States being vocal about um, trying to do replication. There are so many stories coming out of uh, other parts of the world that um, – all the labs, I'm, there must be thousands of furnaces burning right now trying to replicate this. But I, uh, I wanted to um, get material into the hands of some local experts in California. And so that's really our, our goal is, you know, can we, can we sort of be the face of, uh, of the internet, do this experiment in a safe manner, and then uh, help advance the science and be sort of a forcing function to... Um, to doing this replication. So, Andrew, just before, uh, just a, uh, a small pause before you continue, I want to ask uh, the other Andrew here on stage, Andrew Cote, uh, if, if you're able to unmute and, and, and talk to us, uh, if you're uh, available, uh, about the potential 
um, reasons why all of Twitter jumped on this. Andrew uh, Cote, you had a uh, thread on uh, room temperature superconductors, uh, what, two weeks before this, like almost a pernicious kind of uh, a thread. Uh, and uh, could you give us some summary, first of all, feel free to introduce yourself, but also some summary of what this means if this replicates, what this means for the world, uh, applications. Uh, can you give us like uh, some excitement of w what happens if this is an actual ambient pressure in room temperature superconductor? Andrew? Does not look like Andrew is. Okay, sorry, my uh, right. my audio cut out for a second. I I missed the uh, prompt. Oh, yeah. there you are. You want me sure, to yeah, again? thanks, thanks for that. Um, so, so, uh, folks, so, so I, I explained to folks your thread about, uh, ambient, uh, you know, pressure room temperature superconductors that you've, uh, authored, what, two weeks before the paper came out, uh, and then suddenly th this drops, uh, and I wanted you to highlight some of the potential applications of superconductors and give us some of the highlights of what happens if this replicates and this is an actual, uh, you know, real thing. Yeah, sure. So it's kind of a funny thing. Um... Yeah, I put that thread out there uh, seven weeks before this story broke. Um, you know, just I have worked with this kind of stuff um, in, in a few different areas now. So it's very, you know, superconducting radio frequency cavities are standard technology in accelerator physics. Uh, it's a field I used to work in. My, my first job in physics was actually in a condensed matter lab using a, a scanning tunneling microscope to look at, you know, electronic structures of potential high temperature superconductors. Um, so this has always been sort of like a holy grail of material science, sort of a holy grail of applied physics. Um, it's one of these properties, it's one of these materials where the bulk properties come from its quantum mechanical behavior. Uh, and, and, you know, when quantum mechanics and its effects escape the realm of the very tiny, it can really manifest as, as magical phenomenon at our scale in, in the world of the kind of the bulk matter, the big stuff. So, um, you know, superconductors are used currently today. Um, you know, it's, it's, they've reached engineering applicability through decades of continuous refinements and improvements. And, and some of the biggest things to think about in what lets these things get used in industrial applications is their ability to superconduct at higher and higher temperatures. And also most, also importantly, is to operate at higher and higher background magnetic field strengths. And so the way to think about this is that a superconductor, it's allowing current to move through it with zero resistance, um, but it also perfectly expels magnetic fields. And, and there's an operating point of these materials where it's basically the current density and the temperature and the magnetic field kind of put the bounds or the performance envelope on the material. So some conductors can carry tons of current, but they can exist in a very high field. And so, um, you know, uh, those are hard to make as useful. You can use them for carrying like electricity, which is awesome. But often what you really want to do is generate very strong magnetic fields. So I think maybe the most familiar to most people here would be like an MRI machine, right? Magnetic resonance imaging. So the idea there is you're generating a very high strength field. And magnetic fields are measured in Tesla, for example. Um, so just for just for context, you know, three Tesla is is a pretty strong field 
And that's what is about the strength using an MRI. So, you know, MRIs use these cryogenically cooled magnets, or, or they're not obviously cryogenically cooled, they're actually often just copper, but they do have cooling. Um, but they generate this high strength field, and then, you know, it kind of sets all these little protons in your body spinning and dancing in a little, you know, kind of radiating energy. And then you have a pickup coil, which is like an antenna, and the antenna is trying to pick up that energy and kind of reconstruct what's going on in your body. And this is how we can get like a really high detailed, high fidelity, three-dimensional image of what's going on inside someone without any invasive surgery. So it's like, you know, MRIs are a real kind of amazing breakthrough in medical imaging. Um, superconductors, if they could work without cryogenics, would really simplify and make cheaper and more available high resolution, high fidelity, 3D images of people's bodies, um, not just for making the magnetic fields, but also for picking up the signal emitted by the protons that get put into motion by the uh, field in the first place. Um, so it's kind of like one sort of off the shelf example. Um, I think another one that's kind of under the radar, if you don't think about, it's not just in carrying electricity without resistance, which is useful for long range, like energy transmission, that kind of stuff. But if you look at the national grid, I mean, only five, seven percent of energy total, which is still significant, but it's you know, single digit percentage, uh, ends up you know burning as waste. You're suddenly muffled. Hey, Andrew, I think. Yeah, you're suddenly a voice uh, like you're. Oh, um, better. Now it's better. Okay, yeah. sorry about that. Yeah, so I was going to say so. You know, national grid scale energy production, right? So trans transmitting the energy to its endpoint consumption. There's a bit of waste heat along the way, um, but what's what's also important to think about is how that energy is produced. It's produced also using high strength magnetic fields. And um, I was looking into this. There's a uh, experiment where these guys used sort of more modern high temperature superconducting tape to you know retrofit a large DC generator, and then it had like a 36 percent uh, power improvement, right? Uh, which is pretty substantial. That's, that's a, it's a serious win. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, you know, sort of thousands of places this stuff could be used that would really just like, you know, it would either uh, greatly improve the performance, efficiency, reduce the cost, increase the accessibility of what we think of as like high technology, like MRIs or uh, particle accelerators. Um, but it would also just decrease the cost of basic things like electricity, generation, and distribution. Um, and that's just the beginning, right? So, you know, this kind of stuff, it, there's a really good analogy here, actually, with a transistor. You know, for, for years, scientists and electrical engineers and physicists, they had this idea of a transistor, right? If only we could have some kind of simple, reliable current multiplier, we could design all these wonderful things. We could design all these different kinds of logic functions and so forth. And so there was this search for the transistor. Like, people were searching for something that could do that. And they had anticipated all the places it could be used ahead of time. And it wasn't until at Bell Labs, you know, a very kind of funny crossover here. One of the guys that's on the patent for the transistor is John Bardeen. And John Bardeen's actually the only guy to win two Nobel Prizes. One was for the transistor. The other was for the theory of superconductivity, right? Which is Bardeen-Cooper-Schriffer uh, theory, BCS. Um, so again, it's one, of, it's one of those things where, you know, physicists, scientists, engineers thought about this for a long time, realized this could be amazing. And there's been this, you know, really complicated random walk through the configuration space of possible materials, right, which is so high dimensional, there's so many possible things you can construct. Um, so I think it's, I'm very optimistic about uh, the field in general. I think one thing to think about with this particular result, 
there's so much artisanal craft and, and mastery that goes into producing these materials in a reliable, consistent way. You know, science, people don't often recognize it's a lot of art involved too, right? Like, like things that are reduced to expert practice and know-how. And so I'd, I'd just be cautious on, you know, jumping to conclusions either on this particular result, if it's, if it's valid right now, but also if some labs can't fail to reproduce it, it doesn't actually rule it out entirely. I, I think there's some scientists that have traveled to Korea to work with the original authors. I look closely at that. Um, you know, I'd also, you know, I, my internal odds are kind of like a one in six chance this pans out and it, and it could be big. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's the end of the search or the end of the race. And I'm, and I'm also optimistic that getting people to understand what the massive long-term and large-scale social benefits of this kind of discovery could be could help direct a lot more basic science research towards this field. Um, you know, I think we spend a lot of things on like how to make smartphone cameras better and not a lot of things on, and not as much as we could spend on things like high temperature superconductors. And just as a final example, I mean, so right now, you know, I work as a Stellarator engineer. Stellarator is a type of magnetic confinement fusion reactor. The reason the company I work for can exist and, and the reason there is this current berm and boom in nuclear fusion is because we've engineered these high temperature superconductors to work in higher and higher magnetic fields at, at higher and higher temperatures. And, and the big economic breakthrough there came when we can have these uh, superconductors that can work at liquid nitrogen temperatures, right, which is 77 Kelvin. And it's a lot cheaper to make liquid nitrogen and run that kind of cryogenics than it is like liquid helium at like 4 Kelvin. So, um, you know, we're already reaping some of the benefits of this sort of tech stack maturing over time. And I think it's really just getting started in terms of like the hunt for promising materials. I mean, I'm hoping this results in positive publicity and more effort, more energy put into the field. I think if this doesn't pan out as the thing, you know, don't give up hope, right? I mean, this is a long-term game. Um, science proceeds by starts and stops. There's no fundamental physics here that's impossible, right? There's no physical principle that says this can't work, right? This isn't like a, a momentumless or massless re, uh, propulsion drive like the EM drive. This isn't like superluminal neutrinos, right? Those things kind of break laws of physics. Um, this is very much in the realm of, yeah, physically possible. Seems, seems very, you know, in my mind, seems likely there could be something out there given the complexity of state space of electronic structures and given how you know, how large that space of exploration can be. Um, and yeah, so I think I'm just kind of, you know, this is a great time to be interested in material science, to appreciate basic science research and um, educating ourselves on, on how good the future can be. You know, I think there's a lot of narratives right now in society and culture in general that kind of say like, you know, um, you know we, we can't solve our way out of our biggest problems today, right? And, and I'm very much on the other side of that debate. I think we can. I think it's through efforts like this. I think it's through people like Andrew at Varda that are willing to do stuff in their backyard or their garage or their fact or their their work workplace on their extra time. You know, I mean, this is the kind of this is the the let's build mentality, right? And so I think we can build our way out of the world's greatest problems. And I think it's fundamental scientific advances like this discovery could be that that kind of pave the way out of there too. So, yeah, o overall very optimistic. Andrew, that that's Andrew. A, incredibly well said. That is. Uh, an incredibly well-balanced viewpoint. So how would you advise people to absorb the, the next week of the news cycle? I mean, we're very much on a, you know, we're, we're back, it's dead, we're back uh, type of hype cycle. So how do you advise people to think about the results that they're seeing, knowing that this is a, 
a very difficult thing to replicate when it, just because it, uh, a negative result is shown at a lab, that doesn't mean it's not physically possible. It's very difficult to prove the negative here. Um, so tell us how we should absorb the news cycle coming up in the next few days. So I, 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 might, I might say something about that. I think, I think this is basically tacit knowledge transfer. And you, it, Kim, Kim seems to have been this kind of like artisanal, like, you know, experimentalist. So you need people to actually sit there in the lab with this guy and he needs to demonstrate to them and they need to pick up and, and there might be things that he does, which he didn't write down. That, that's the, like my, my take on it, given that he's the experimentalist, he's the synth synthesis on, on the team, given that the team seems to have been only like five or six people, is that this guy is the, maybe the only person in the world as of like, you know, 18 months ago. I'm guessing that, you know, he managed to transfer some of that to the Hume Tux team. So I'm guessing that at least at least one more one more team on, on Earth has this now. And I'm guessing that this knowledge transfer is now happening to a couple more people. So so you need to see this progress maybe two or three cycles for like a bunch of other people to have learned the skill. And then that's when that's when things get interesting. Uh I mean you don't really need to replicate to to verify this there the the team can just the team has the working samples they can just sample to the labs around the world hey there this is alex again if you're hearing this this means you're not a paid subscriber and you don't have access to the full episode there is a little more than 2 hours of discussions with experts and I encourage you to subscribe to access the rest of the recording. Otherwise a transcription is provided of all of it on my Substack. And of course you can listen to the Twitter space recording on Twitter on my account at alttrain. But I do encourage you to subscribe and I hope you've enjoyed the podcast so far. Thank you.